0: Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On this special mini-episode, we are joined by director Chris Butler. Chris Butler works at Leica Studios. Uh, he actually writes and directs uh, films over at Leica Studios. His previous films include Paranorman and more recently missing link but he's also written on a whole bunch of other films he's got a really you know, uh, storied history in um, in animation he's worked on tim burton's the corpse bride and he's worked on the mr bean animated series if you remember that uh, i certainly do i think from the late 90s maybe early noughties anyway uh, we don't we don't really talk about that very much but we do talk about Paranorman which is getting a cinema re-release on the 28th of October here in the UK and uh, and at Picturehouse we're not just playing Paranorman we're playing all of the Leica feature films on the big screen as part of a special mini season so we're going to have a chat with Chris about Paranorman and the whole Leica season and and that's not all if you're in london you can actually go to the finsbury park picture house until the 15th of november and see some of the models from leica studios in person we've got an actual display of some of the real life characters real life models used in the films and uh, and you can go for free free until the 15th of november if you time your visit right you could watch one of the Leica films on the big screen and then go into the bar and, and meet some of the characters from it so that's that's kind of fun so that's all from me uh, enjoy my chat with Chris Butler about Paranorman and do go and see Paranorman on the big screen I I had such a nice time revisiting this film big big recommend enjoy Alison <laughs> close. there's something you really need to know
1: the curse is real and you're the one who has to stop it but i'm just a kid how am i supposed to stop it read from the book before the
0: sun sets tonight uh! thank you for joining us chris on the pictures podcast nice to have you on the show
1: thank you so much for having me it is a pleasure
0: we are lucky to have not only Paranorman back in cinemas, but we have got the whole Leica filmography in our season in October. And we've even got some of the models at are Finsbury Park picture house uh, hanging out in the members bar, looking stunning in uh, in display cabinets. It's, uh, it's free to enter for a whole month during October and into early November. So I recommend people going. Just have a nose, have a nose.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Free to enter. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, I think I think we've missed a trick actually. Maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I've got
1: it. I can't see it now.
0: <laughs> they look they look so beautiful, and it just sort of adds to that experience. I think of not only seeing these films on the cinema, which is the most immersive way I think to watch uh, a movie, but then actually to you know literally hang out in the bar uh, with your favorite characters, albeit you know about four inches high or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I I mean I think hopefully when when an audience goes to see uh, one of our stop motion movies, they are complete like you say completely immersed in it they are they they should forget that it's that it's stop motion animation they should forget that the characters that they're looking at are puppets they should be compelled by the characters compelled by the story so I think it's it's like an additional little bit of magic if you you know if you've really connected with the movie to walk out and see how crazy it is that we the scale that we work with and the things that we use to in order to make the
0: movies you don't normally get to meet the stars straight after a film (laughs) so you know like that's that's pretty cool
1: (laughs) yeah even if they are in a glass box
0: yeah i mean these ones can be sent by airmail it's probably you know it's the best (laughs) the best case (laughs) I mean, it's it's so nice to to actually see Paranormal's been you know like had this this re-release and as, as you know it's, it's been getting a lot of um love and attention to to go back out in cinemas looking as great as it did uh, you know when it when it was first released. But but you know you were at the centre of that. You wrote this. You co-directed this. What does it mean to you that Paranormal's getting this big push ten years on?
1: I mean, obviously, I love it. I think um when Sam Fell and I first started work on it you know it was our intention we talked a lot about how we wanted to make it uh, a classic halloween movie and we all have that it's the same with christmas as well we have those movies that we go back to we repeatedly watch because it gives us that good feeling that we want on those specific holidays and we always wanted that with paranormal so i'm obviously over the moon that that people do keep going back to it and to, like you say, to be able to see it on the big screen is that's the best place to see it for sure.
0: I think seeing it with a new I mean, I'm assuming, you know, I'm assuming there'll be a lot of return customers, but I'm also assuming it'll be people's first time seeing it on the big screen. And I sort of love that people get a chance like I had 10 years ago to go and watch it, uh, you know, and properly drink it in uh, with an audience as well, because these films are funny. And it's so nice to sort of see it with a crowd of like minded people and you sort of responding to you know certain moments, you know, in in, in that way.
1: Yeah, definitely, and it's it's interesting to see. I just did a, like a watch party thing the other day, and I, I was reading all the the feed comments as they were popping up. It's amazing how much the world has changed in ten years, and I, and I definitely see that in the movie. But but I think what 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 is important now, as it was then, is the themes of it, and they still hold up. I, but there there is a scene in the school play where everyone in the audience is holding up camcorders. It's <laughs> like, what?
0: It's like unexpected <laughs> we things right to date. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's good. It's good because we always intended it. We, we always kind of a little bit loose with this, the time setting because we were referencing 80s movies. We were really going for that John Hughes and that Amblin and that 80s horror movie vibe. So I think because stylistically we did that, It makes it almost timeless in a way.
0: I I think getting to rewatch the film ahead of talking to you, but actually because we're doing the season, rewatching all of the Leica films, they do have a timeless quality, and I think it's it's partially due to the the writing and the the sort of direction on screen, but also again like going back to that stop motion, it doesn't date, you know, like it, it they look as good as now as they did, you know, when they were first released, which isn't you know that long ago, but sometimes in like for CGI, for example, that can date really quickly in just a couple of years. But these are timeless yeah. films.
1: Yeah, that is interesting, and uh, we've talked a lot about that at the studio. In that you can go back to like a stop motion movie, and uh, and it because it's it was made at that time. You know, I mean, it was it's physically made. It's it's real light on real objects. CG is constantly trying to achieve the real light on real objects. And so they do date. It's interesting it's I mean you you see it if you go back and look at Toy Story now the the difference is pretty apparent. But having said that, you know, even in stop motion we're constantly trying to push things forward. We're always trying to, you know, see how we can innovate and use technology to change the way we make our movies and 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 maybe make the kinds of movies that we couldn't have made. 20, 30 years ago in this medium.
0: Do you remember when when making Paranorman, you know, what, what were the challenges in terms of you know, where stop motion was was quite tricky? And, and is there anything that you, you couldn't do then that you could do now a lot easier? I think
1: we were just starting to get into pushing the scope of the movie. Compared to Coraline, Paranorman is huge. And it was certainly one of the biggest stop motion movies that had been made to date, because traditionally, stop motion movies were always small scale, you know, a handful of characters in a limited location. And that was because they're real puppets and you have to build the sets. So you're limited by that. But we really started to embrace, uh, VFX CG. And so we would start you just start to see it actually in paranormal there's that shot where Norman is walking through town. And you see the, the the whole of Blythe Hollow in the distance, rolling hills, digital shot extensions, always informed by real builds. So they're always the CG is always informed by something that's been built and then given to them and they scan it or they remodel it. But having said that, it started to open up the canvas. It started to allow us to tell stories that took place in a town rather than a house. And then you'll see how much we've gone from there to the point where on missing link. We are we're in about you know 46 different countries, um, and that was entirely because of uh, technology. And and we certainly couldn't have made Kubo. We couldn't have made Missing Link back at the time of Paranorman. But I think one of the other challenges that um, I noticed the other day when I was watching it again, which I'm quite proud of, is the design of it. The design of it is pretty out there. That's very asymmetrical. The characters are, shall we say, beautifully grotesque. <laughs> but there was definitely challenges to those puppets because of course they've got to they've got to actually be built. They're a three-dimensional objects. But characters with that are all neck, you know, with no defining chin, that, that is incredibly difficult to build because it's all silicon. And when when you have these large objects that are being manipulated, the silicon can very easily crease and bunch up. And as soon as it starts doing that, you lose the illusion that it's alive. But we didn't shy away. We we, we embraced these messed up looking characters. And I think we achieved something really fantastic because I haven't quite seen characters like that before. And I think we that's something that we've continually done. We've, we've continued to, uh, especially with the puppet making, to to try and make puppets that that challenge us in terms of their build.
0: It's quite unique, isn't it? The, the in ninety two minutes long, you know, the, the characters leave such a big impact, and they are recognisable and iconic. And this is the first time we've ever met them. You know, they, they've they've clearly you know left a cultural impact because now they're sort of being re released back in in cinemas again. So it's um yeah, the design is uh, is and it's same with every like film as well. Like iconic characters are present in every single movie but I feel like with Paranorman that's it's, it's not just one it's not just a lead you know like there's there's a cast uh, of, of icons here I wonder you know because you were saying your sort of background is in um storyboarding before this you know how do you remember sort of coming up with the look of the characters when you're writing are you sketching out how how the gang are gonna look
1: yeah I mean because I started at, right from the age of like four I was drawing so that was always my first love but I loved telling stories even as a kid you know I'd create huge epics with all my lego and my you know star wars toys and so it was always in there to tell stories and to draw and so it became a natural step for me to go into storyboarding because you're kind of doing both but my process when I'm writing is to draw like if I draw a sketch of a character I then find it easier to write about them That makes sense because I I can start to see who who they are. It's almost like I do a similar thing with um, cast. I'll sometimes think of an actor before I start writing a character because it gives them like a voice to work with. And occasionally, I've been lucky enough to get that actor, which is always a treat. But yeah, I'm, I'm always that. My my sketchbooks are full of a combination of. You know, rough dialogue, descriptions, and then lots of scruffy-looking doodles in the side. Mm-hmm. And I will I will take those along into, into pre-production, certainly in development. I'll show them to the artists that I'm working with. But the hope is that I will work with people who will bring something that I haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. And certainly that was the case on Paranormal I worked with a character designer, Heidi Smith, and her designs were really outlandish. And that, like, for example, Mr. Prendergast, in my head, he was this frail old man in, in, a, in a suit. And she came along and drew this gargantuan bomb, you know? <laughs> and and <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, I wasn't thinking of that, <laughs> but, but that's Mr. Prendergast now. So that that's the hope is that you have this set idea, but what you want is for someone to come in and bring you something better.
0: That's great. I mean, I guess that's the um, you know, film is one of the most collaborative art forms. I'm sure animation is maybe even more collaborative than than your regular sort of live action picture as well. But but having all of these different sort of opinions and and you know interpreting what you've written in different ways, that must be quite exciting as a creator. Like oh. I didn't, I didn't see Mr. Prendergast looking like that, but actually, that totally makes sense.
1: It's a, it's a wonderful feeling actually, because that you, you start to see, you know, it started in your head this, this germ of an idea, and you start to see it take on a life of its own, and that's when it's really exciting for me. Is, is when it's a, I mean, obviously. You know, I'm supposed to be director, so I'm supposed to have control of it. But it's almost like you lose control control of it. It takes on a life of its own. It seems apt for a movie about zombies, but, it, it you know, it starts to become something else. And I love that because I'm an animation fan. Why wouldn't I love that?
0: Are there any characters that we see in the film that are, are pretty close to your initial uh, sketch? You know, if we went back to your notepad from 10 or so years ago.
1: Yes, actually. Norman... Um, because Norman was based on me. And wow. yeah, in so many ways, I don't talk to ghosts. <laughs> but um, although my nana, uh, my grandma did tell me uh, that when she died, she was going to come back as a ghost to make sure I was okay. <laughs> kind of creepy, good. maybe. Uh, <laughs> but that's where the character of Grandma Babcock came from. So a lot of it is informed by stuff from my childhood. But I had a photograph of me in school around about 10 years old. And at that period in my life, my mother was still giving me handmade bowl cut hairstyle. It was a sad state of affairs, but it was true. And so there's this photo, this school photo of me with a bowl head. And I remember having a conversation. It's like, what? how can we make Norman unique and it was like, what what is that what is that stylistic flourish? What is that distinguishing feature that makes him unique? And we basically said, well, if that kid with the bowl head saw a ghost, the hair would <laughs> pop straight up on end. And that's where his haircut came from. So
0: it's that's a, why Norman
1: has, it's basically me with sticky up hair.
0: I uh, as uh, my mum used to do the same thing to me uh, with the bowl cut, so um, it's nice to meet a fellow member of that club. But um, Norman's yeah. hair is a is a marvel. It, I, I wonder, was that quite hard to to sort of realise?
1: Yes, so I, I I believe it was like two hundred and sixty five individual spikes. Oh, wow. I could have that number slightly off, but it's around about two hundred and sixty five, and it was made from goat hair and super glue and. Medical adhesive and fabric and wire and hair dye and hairspray all combined so that you've got this because it's very stiff if you actually have the puppet in your hand because it has to be because the animator's got their mitts on it all the time. Um, but we also created ones for some of the action, they were called stunt wigs for some of the action scenes, like if Norman's in the middle of the storm and they can move, so all those in all those, uh spikes of hair have got wires in them so the animator can manipulate them
0: That's crazy incredible. stuff
1: really yeah
0: it yeah. is incredible like because watching the film especially on the like on the cinema screen you can really see the detail you know everything's of course a lot bigger but the cameras capture so much detail i just sort of assumed it was like one lump of hair but actually on the cinema you can see its individual hairs it's it's mind-blowing yeah.
1: <laughs> it really is i mean they do an incredible job because you're always trying to um you're always trying trying to create something that looks cool. And it's the same with the costumes as well. You want to create something that looks cool. So it's hair design and it's costume design. But on top of that, they have to be built so that they can be manipulated frame by frame. So it's not just an aesthetic thing. It's it's an engineering thing. It's a mechanical thing. So, we're, And in miniature. So when you see, like, that, that's why these artists are so... Like, I don't think they get praise enough for what they managed to create
0: no no i mean yes yeah, it's, uh it's it's really like i would be very happy just watching behind the scenes footage on on so much <laughs> of this stuff because that in itself is such a story you know I, I when you just think like someone's had to sit there and design that shirt or that tiny shoe or those hairs <laughs> you know and, and then you times that by however many characters and and however long the film is it's uh takes a village i'm sure <laughs>
1: It really does. And on top of that, it's in the style of the movie. Like we get nothing for free, like a fork in our world. We can't just go out and buy a miniature fork because a fork in the paranormal world is uh, asymmetric. So it's got some spokes longer than others, some prongs longer than others. It's, it's slightly. So everything in that world has to be designed according to that world's rules as well. It is madness. I don't know why we do
0: it. <laughs> I'm glad someone. I'm glad someone does it. I'm glad it's not me. But I'm also. <laughs> glad I get to wa- I get to watch the films and, and enjoy them.
1: Let's go somewhere new, see worlds we've never seen before, so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars. Inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia,
0: proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. There's a such a good cast in in uh, in, in Paranorman, and it's something that is, I think, consistent. You know, sort of in the Leica uh, studio, you always get really great actors. But but I wonder, you know, going back to Paranorman. Do you remember finding Cody Smith-McPhee and, and Anna Kendrick and, you know, all of these wonderful people to bring the characters, to give them voices, bring them to life?
1: Yeah, it's actually a really, it's it's a very rewarding part of the process. It happens very, very early on. But what generally happens is I'll prepare a list, Sam and I prepared a list for Paranorman, of, you know, who are our top picks for each character? And then we will we will we will gather together clips, sound bites of those actors, and we will play them against images of the character, you know, designs, early designs. And then you start to see what voice might potentially work with what character. And then on top of that, we will often play them side by side. So characters that spend a lot of time in the movie together, you want to make sure that their voices have some kind of, you know, relationship that's pleasing to the ear so for the kids because uh, we've got that prolonged van chase where we've got all the kids in the van so we made sure to listen to you know courtney next to alvin next to norman next to neil and and i was pretty pleased with with everyone that we ended up with we worked with casting legend Alison jones um and she's you know famous for um super bad and bridesmaids and in particular what the reason that we went to her in the first place was that she cast freaks and geeks the wow. tv show and that was a pretty big influence on paranormal in the early stages because we wanted that high school feel and actually the main kid in freaks and geeks i can't remember his name there was like a, a uh, like an awkwardness to him that we we looked at a lot in the early days when we were talking about how Norman might move. And so Allison goes out and she she works her magic. It was through Allison that we found Tucker Albritzzi, who played Neil, and he was an unknown, really. but he, his the quality of his voice and the weirdness of his delivery was just so cool and worked so well against Cody. And Cody, yeah, I mean, at that time he was a kid. But both Sam and I watched The Road, you know, the McCormack-McCarthy adaptation. And it's the whole movie is basically just him and Viggo Mortensen mm. being chased by horrible people. <laughs> and it's, it's brutal and heartbreaking and upsetting. And he holds his own. As an actor, he holds his own with Viggo Mortensen at nine years old. And so That's... we were like, this, this is the kid. And he did it. I mean, the problem with making a movie with, with kid characters is um, the, you know production takes a long time. And so you're recording them over several years. And chances are, if they're a boy, their voice starts to break. <laughs> but, but, but Cody was great because by the end, his voice was changing, but he was able to affect his, uh, the same younger voice because he was that good. Now, he was an absolute joy to work with. Anna Kendrick was hilarious. Casey Affleck was hilarious. We And we also were really lucky in that we got the chance to record a lot of these guys together. And so you do get a really good connection between the vocal performances. We got a lot of uh, Leslie Mann and Jeff Garland together. That was fun. We couldn't use half of it, but <laughs> it was it, it was still fun to be in the recording booth with them.
0: Two iconic, I mean two great actors and comedians, but two iconic voice actors as well. Like they're yeah, they 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 um they can bring a lot to a voice role. I, I always enjoy hearing hearing them there. Also like yeah. I mean, just for me, John Goodman's such a legend and getting John Goodman in the film is uh, that must have been quite special.
1: <laughs> it was. I mean, I I I I hadn't even hoped that we would get someone <laughs> of John Goodman's uh stature. It was fantastic, and that was a rough part as well, you know, because he spends most of his time in the movie coughing. That's a that's a tough thing to ask an actor to do for four hours. It's brutal, and you kind of sit there going, "Oh, sorry."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, he's he's chosen to cough in your film, though. When I'm, you know, I'm sure he he's got he plenty of coughs because that's uh, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a that's a good endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder, I, I was really, I, I didn't know, I don't know anything about the, the process, but sort of, yeah, going back in over the period, over a, a period of years, that's, that's fascinating to work with uh, sort of voice actors over such a long time, you know, I guess in small bursts over a long time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So normally you, you try to get as much upfront as you can, because obviously that's what you animate to. And yeah, so you, 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 you need those vocal performances for the animators. Because their performance depends on the voice actor's performance. But as is always the way with movies, because you're kind of cutting it together as you go along, you get shots in, you start to see how it starts to fit together and changes have to be made. Quite often you have to cut stuff because it's just running too long or you're taking too long to get to the point or, you know, there's an action scene and it's not quite... There's, you know, you you have got to find a rhythm to the whole thing, and so you have to go back. I was lucky in both my movies because um, directing and writing. So quite often in the recording booth, if I'm as as I'm hearing the actors playing around with their roles, if there's something that I like or I don't like, I can change the lines on the fly, and that, that's something I would quite often do. I'd have a bunch of like little cards. And I would write all lines on the cards as we go along. I don't quite know how the actors felt about it because they just kept seeing me waving new lines at them. (laughs) But it's good for me because I could adapt according to the performance.
0: I think that's really valuable. Um, being able to respond—that's like, it's directing, isn't it? That's 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 you know, albeit in a, a, a different way, but that's exactly what you you need to be doing. And I think we're all the richer for it. You know, having having lines that suit the moment. Now you realise that it might need a little tweak. Uh, is there? I was wondering. You know, often you hear about with animations, there'll be you know like a, a rough voice track, and the director and the cast and crew will be sort of doing voices. But but is there? Did your voice make it into the final cut? Can we hear you if we listen closely? Mine
1: doesn't. No. <laughs> No, I'm I'm not interested in that. Uh, it's amazing how many uh, animation directors you meet who are like obsessed with getting their own voice in the movie. It's like that's the last thing I want, especially in a movie set in America. You don't suddenly want some awkward British voice <laughs> waffling on. No, I mean okay. I think there might. I think I might have got a grunt into Corpse Bride somewhere, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the other thing is, especially with the temp stuff, I'm hearing this so many times every day for three years. Like, hearing my own voice that much, Mm -mm. no, (laughs) no thanks. So, get get John Goodman in. Yeah, I'm quite happy (laughs) to not be in it
0: oh that's wonderful well um let's say we're, we're really thrilled that paranormal's getting this this sort of big push and people are able to to revisit is there anything that you've noticed sort of when you've revisited it during this period that you you didn't quite appreciate um back uh, back in the day back in 2012
1: um i i mean like we talked about earlier i i'm when i just watched it recently i i was i was pretty astounded by how well it does hold up I think what I liked most is that it's very t- timely. It was timely back then in terms of you know the the bullying message. Certainly one of the major themes in it is judgment. It's so timely now. It's crazy. There's lines in there that I, I had no idea would have the relevance that they've got now. That it's all it's almost scary. But but I'm happy with that because it, I think it means that we were saying something important there, And I think the best kids movies do have something to say. Equally, the best zombie movies have something to say. So it, it feels right that it still feels uh, so relevant, I think
0: absolutely um i think that's you know you can't plan for some of this stuff but it's always nice when it when it hits home like this and uh, you know and 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 we get the chance to to notice those things together on the on the big screen because we're we're doing the re-release you know sort of around uh, Halloween. There is probably a, a day of the week where you could double bill Paranormal with the original Night of the Living Dead, which we are also playing in a in a different oh, season <laughs> at Picture House. But I, I would love someone to do that one two punch.
1: Oh, definitely. In fact, I think that was one of the first horror movies that I saw as a kid. You know, I was obsessed with Dead. Anything, any movie with the word Dead in it, I would probably try and watch as a child. So that was very important to this movie so yes absolutely do it yeah.
0: that's an endorsement from chris Butler, listeners you got to do it oh that was brilliant thank you so much um for talking to us chris and and thank you for for the you know not just this but missing link and and you know all the wonderful work at Leica. Um, we're really proud to be doing this season and and getting them all back in cinemas yeah the next few weeks
1: thank you so much i am thrilled by everything that's happening and and thank you for talking to me today
0: no problem at all i also have to say the poster for the re-release of paranormal is stunning it's really really beautiful artwork
1: yeah it's uh, it's always it, there's something about like the classic kind of halloween spooky movie thing it just gets me every time
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant well thank you so much for talking to us today um and uh, and yeah hopefully see you for the next one see you soon <laughs>
1: yes hopefully thank you again and goodbye